This is Creator Talks Episode 4, Best of 2016, Part 4. Well, 2016 is nearly at a close, and here is the fourth and final best of 2016 episode for my podcast, Creator Talks. Uh, this again was pulled from my interviews for Word of the Nerd for the podcast, The Comics Word. And up next, I'm going to speak to Peter Milligan. Uh, Peter worked on the comic book Ecstatic for Marvel. He also worked on Hellblazer for DC. Books that Peter have written that are currently being published are Britannia for Valiant Comics and The Mummy for Hammer Horror under the imprint of Titan Comics. So we're going to talk about both of those books in this interview and uh, other work that Peter Milligan is doing. And so let's not waste any time and get to the meat of the episode, my interview with Peter Milligan. You know, I've been following your career for a while, and initially you were out there doing work for hire for the big two. And lately, especially in the past year, you've been doing a lot of work of your own, creator-owned work and work for smaller press like The Discipline, Britannia, and The Mummy. Uh, and that's a move a lot of creators have made lately is working, doing their own independent-owned work and working for smaller press. And a common thread I've seen in the, your latest work this year is it's had a touch of horror and mystery. Is this something that you naturally gravitate towards in your writing? Is this like one of your favorite topics? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think all of my work has had a degree of horror, stroke weird. I think uh, where weird and horror meets is an interesting place. And I think I've kind of in my career, I've kind of occupied that place, I think, quite a bit. And I think I'm a, I mean, I like quite, quite like the dark side of the human experience. And I think it's when I think it's in those situations when uh, when one meets the dark side of yourself or of life. I think it's when you find out things about yourself and about uh, reality. So I guess, um, so yeah, so I, I suppose um, it's I naturally lean towards that kind of um, fairly kind of dark, stroke, weird kind of thing uh, in my reading and also in my uh, in my writing. Yeah, I mean, you're getting into the psychology of the person. You're getting into the, the deeper layers, uh, you know, sometimes into the id region, as they would say in Freudian psychology. And it's one of the threads about all of your books is that they seem to be much more nuanced. In other words, there's a lot of history detail supporting the character in the book. For example, in Britannia, we're looking at Nero's reign in 65 AD. We get into the Vestal Virgins. And with the mummy that's coming up, we see there's a lot of uh, information on the pantheon of gods worked into the story and the, their belief in the afterlife, the Egyptians' belief in the afterlife and their preparations. Do you do a lot of research for these topics, for these particular books, or is this just something you know a lot about and you're comfortable but, writing about it? Uh, both. I mean, usually I'm writing about uh, this stuff because I have an interest in that uh, topic and I've read a lot about it and I've thought a lot about it. And normally that's why a story emerges. Uh, but once I've decided to write a story, I then might do different and more like targeted uh, research. For example, at Britannia, I mean, uh, I've been, I've been really fascinated by the idea of the Romans. I mean, you know, if you live in Britain, you kind of, uh, 
you live amongst the history of the Roman uh, Empire because the, the road sometimes is still called, you know, it's London was Londinium, you know. I mean, so like it's it's all around us. Uh, when I, when I when I was really young, uh, I read uh, I Claudius by um, Robert Graves, and I was completely blown away and captivated by this book. And it's kind of stuck with me, and and uh, that coupled with the whole idea of what life was really like back then, and, and how our thought processes were different. So um yeah, so to, to back to um, research. I mean, so I had this idea. And then I started to do even more research into uh, life in Rome. And what? And, and sometimes in research, you really kind of like find stuff which which amazes you. And you think, well, this must be in the story. This must have a, a big space in the story. And one of the things uh, about about ancient Rome that I really kind of read a lot about and got really fascinated by was the position of the uh, Vestal Virgins. This was a society where, as you can imagine, uh, women didn't have exactly what we might call equality, like far from it. Um, they couldn't, they had big problems about them, uh, about them inheriting uh, goods, about, you know, they, they had a really bad lot, as you can imagine, you know. Uh, but the Vestal versions were different. They were a college or a group of uh, women who had real power. They had religious power but that, that extended to a kind of secular power. They could inherit goods. So they had... Now, they gave up something, obviously. They, they were virgins for, I think, 30 years. It's like a 30-year stint. Uh, but, um, but they had power, and, and, they, uh, and they were respected, and sometimes there were strange uh, powers were um, conferred upon them or imagined they had. And so they were a really interesting group of people. So I took that, if you like, in Britannia one step further, and I thought, here's this leader of the... Here's this leader of the... Uh, of the um, Festival virgins, and I imagine how interesting it would be. She has to wield some kind of political, as well as religious, uh, um, power, and so that's what I've done with them, um, with uh, with that. And that really comes from our research. Uh, you know, I knew a lot about ancient uh, Rome. You then start uh, researching more, and you come across this thing. Need to it forces its way into your story, and it's always a great thing when that happens. In the back of Britannia, both issues that I've read so far, issues one and two, both are which in second printing, which is awesome. Uh, there's a lot of information, research by scholars about the Vestal Virgins, about the Centurion. So there's more information in the back of the book. It's worth taking the time to read the text. Don't just skip through it, folks. And learn more about the background, the history behind those characters, not of the characters themselves, but of the culture and how those positions were treated within Rome, the Roman Empire. And uh, it's nice to have that in the book to get more information, to get more depth, because the the typical, oh, you can buy all these crossovers to get more information and get get more depth about the book or the story, but you don't need to get them. But here, it's all in the book. It's all right there, and it's researched by scholars, by professors at universities. That's uh, what I really liked about, excuse me, that's what I really liked about this, uh, uh, this, this uh, project was that you really, I think you really feel as though you get your money's worth when you read, read this book. The artwork's fantastic. Uh, uh, I have to say, when when um, when Warren uh, Simons, the editor, told me they were, were going to have this, um, some uh, notes from uh, experts at the back of the book, part of me was really happy. I thought, how fantastic! He kind of even more contextualizes uh, the um, the story. A little part of me was a bit concerned. I mean, what if they just come and kind of rubbish everything I've said? Uh, everything I've written about, <laughs> basically says everything you've written was complete bogus. <laughs> Make believe this is what it was really like. But luckily, um, they haven't uh, gainsaid me to um, to egregiously. 
Yeah, you know, and I think it's, uh, at least for me, it's something that you'll want to open the book and read again and again, not only just to, there's so much in the story about the characters and about the culture, and on upon second readings, I've picked other things out, but you have all that information in the back, so it's one of those books that you'll want to read multiple times, because you'll get a little more out of it each time. You'll pick up things, since this is also a mystery, you'll pick up things you might have missed in the first issue when you read the second, like say, ah... I see a trend. I see I see a thread here. So you become a bit of a sleuth yourself trying to figure out the mystery in the book. Yeah, I, mean, I think every every I mean, every piece of fiction I think is in some way a mystery because the writer or the writer and artist are trying to understand and unpick the mystery of what it is to be human. And this story is what it is to be human in this particular time and what it is to be human with these particular gifts or powers uh, that this person has been given by um by by falling in with or uh being you or you've been used by the uh, the uh, best divergence so i mean yeah i think it's great uh, this stuff at the back of the book i mean i think it does contextual but i like to think that even without the stuff at the back you can read just the story and you can uh you understand enough about the world to get it but more stuff is all it's all great it's all good you know no, no, it's definitely uh, it's you can definitely get it from the story, and it's also nice that the way Valiant puts out the book, and they're giving it to you in a nice prestige format to the reader for the same price. Um, they have a little introduction at the beginning of the story, so if you're picking it up with issue two, there's enough information there that you can just dive right in. And even if you don't even read that, you can pick up on what's going on just by reading page so. one. I think, I think it's really great because I mean we are dealing with ancient history, and some of some of the some of the, um, the storyline, if you like, or some of the character uh, moves are predicated on it being a particular time in history. And what we didn't want was, you know, people kind of like not being able to or being pushed out of the story or misunderstanding stuff or just not getting stuff simply because they didn't have enough background and they didn't have enough, you know, they didn't have enough setting or contextualizing of, of the story. So it's a complex story particularly when you do a story that is split up before um, uh, episodes and it's kind of, it's a mystery and they're kind of clues and they're, and they're nuances. I think it's always good to have a bit of a, a roundup so you can kind of like, you know, you can kind of, um, you can, you can uh, have an idea of where you were again and, oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, and here we are and this happened, this happened, and this helps me ground myself before, then you can forget about that stuff and just enjoy the character uh, movements. Yeah, and speaking about the character, when you wrote The Discipline, you wrote about Melissa. Um, and also when you're writing about Antonio Axis in you know, Britannia and Nebata in The Mummy, do you start off with your main character, again, with these two books, and then write what's happening to them and have various stop-off points throughout the story? Is it all character-driven first? Yeah, well, well in, in that, like, I think it's, it's character and theme driven. It's not plot driven. I think mm -hmm. what I try to do, I try to, I mean, the theme is key to me. Um, Cause it, you know, if you, I mean, theme, from theme comes character. I think for me personally, from the theme comes the kind of character that, that can best uh, help you um, uh, explore this theme. Or, um, and, and once you have the theme and the character, then I think the plot can start to build up. What kind of story can tell this theme or tell the story of this person? That tends to be how it works with me. And it was how it works with um, 
with a Britannia. I mean, I know I wanted it to be. I know I wanted it to be in um, in uh, ancient Britain. I had an idea of it kind of being Philip Marlowe meets Game of Thrones with a bit of aliens thrown in there. I mean, that was kind of like kind of crazy stuff. But I had. I mean, I was really interested in, in how people thought uh, back then. I mean, there were so many gods. And there was so and there was so much praying to this small god or giving offerings to this small creature. And it's very interesting. We think of the ancient Romans as being quite modern, and compared to a lot of people around that time, they were to us fairly modern. That you know, they had they had uh, central heating. Their food was quite sophisticated. They you know, they had lots of stuff which we would recognize as being the trappings of a civilized modern life. But the way they saw the universe, the way they saw cause and, and effect, was very different and very foreign from us. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, thing to explore. And one way to explore that was to have someone who thinks differently from them, thinks more like us. Axia really is someone who is, is lucky, he's an everyman, but he's, he's someone who the way his mind works slightly more the way that our mind would work or the way that Philip Marlowe's mind would work. He tries to pick up clues. He tries to look at uh, uh, psych the psychology of person or the psychology of the moment. Well, yeah, that is something I found really interesting about him and in that his contemporaries think he's communing with the gods when he's, when he's noticing things about them and understanding who they are based on observation. This really kind of throws them because they have no understanding of this. And he's learned this from the Codex of the Vestal Virgins when they helped him to heal. But that's that's really an interesting thing about it. And it's one of the things about the book I really like is that, and for any well-written book where there's a lot of character development and a lot of background research, you can't just plop somebody else into the story. It's not like, oh, this was a, a good uh, Superman book, but you could pop another character into it. If it's if someone understands the character and develops the character enough, only that character can be in the book. That's that's where they belong. That's the environment they belong. You can't just swap it out for another person in tights if it's a say, for example, a superhero story. Yeah, and I think that I, mean, I think you're completely right. Uh, I think that in a book like this, ideally, every character means something. Every character has a purpose. But but the trick is, I think, is to make that character feel more than just a plot purpose, that that character has a life purpose, that per character is leading his own life, or her own life, and it just so happens to fit into this plot that you are trying to explore. Yeah, it's the journey of their life. Yeah, and that's right, because, you know, we are, we are all parts of other people's lives. And we are spear carriers in other people's lives in, in, in many ways. You know, these people you might have a small relationship with or these people you might have some conversation or, or your neighbor who you might meet occasionally. You are one of the background features of their life. But to you, you're the hero of your life. You're the main character in your life. And I think that, so I find, I find that's really interesting in, in stories. If we take a step back and look at everything you're doing, you've got a lot of material coming out. It seems like you've really accelerated your output lately. Um, now, have you found that you're in a position now to create opportunities for yourself and write more things that you've always wanted to write, topics that you were interested in, or have circumstances in the marketplace changed such that it's more favorable for you that these opportunities do present themselves? Are you making them, or are they presenting themselves and the timing's just right? It's by sheer will and perseverance. No, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's, <laughs> oh. it's, I, kind of, I tend not to... 
I, tend, I often get asked these questions about, you know, the, the, the trajectory of my art career, but I tend not to, I tend just to make it up as I go along. And, um, uh, I mean, really, in the past, like, particularly when I was doing lots of work for Vertigo, I think that I was, I think that, you know, I mean, there was a time when I was working for Vertigo and loving it, and I think really kind of, like, digging in deep into kind of stuff that interested me and moved me and... Uh, and angered me, and I think I was doing all, some really good stuff for Vertigo. At the same time, I was working for this kind of really out there story called Ecstatics for Marvel. I think that was pretty much doing what I wanted to do. So I've always tried to, um, you know, just get the situation where I can do what I want to do. Now, it's always a bit difficult because what you want to do might not be what anyone else wants to do, or it might not be what anyone else wants to read about. That is, so you just have to come to some kind of compromise. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd say the, the market at the moment I, I see it is in, in some kind of flux. I think it's changing from the old model a bit. Um, but I don't think it's quite settled into the new model that it's going to be quite yet. So I think that it's an interesting time. Uh, but I don't think it's quite resolved itself into how it's going to be for the next however many uh, years. No, I agree. It's definitely on a journey of its own, too. And where it's going, we're not quite sure. It's it's a constant it's in constant change and constant flux. But along your journey, you've encountered a lot of people that you've worked with on these projects. Like for the discipline, you had Leandro Fernandez for Britannia, you've had Juan Jose Rip and Jordi Belair in colors. And for the mummy, Ronaldson. Can I, can I just say? Can yes. I just yes. I've been lucky in, in in my career. Those characters, those those art those artists you just met and the colors, Jordi mm -hmm. and, and and Leandro and and I think those three artists are fantastic. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm hoping people are uh, buying this stuff because I'm writing it as well. But the artwork is fantastic. I mean, I think, I mean, I think whatever I do, they help to bring it to life. I think I'm really blessed uh, to have such amazing artists uh, working with me on these projects. And is this something that editorial has kind of paired you guys up, or have you had any input on who you've been paired up with? Because they are really great artists, and they do really fit the book. I mean, there's you can see how they're they're catching your vision for in Britannia. You can see the horror and the color in the book that really pops out. Yeah, I mean, look with the, with Britannia with the, with Juan uh, Jose. I mean, that that was a Warren who managed to get him, and that was Warren's idea and Warren uh, Warren Simons at uh, Valiant. Mm -hmm. To get him. And obviously it's fantastic, you know. But I didn't, I don't know uh, Juan, uh, so um, so that was Warren. That was Warren's uh, good offices who managed to get make that marriage, and it's fantastic. With Leo, with Leandro uh, on the discipline, I know Leandro. I worked with him on a project before called the Names. So that was a that was a relationship that I have, and and hope to continue to have. As far as I'm concerned, he's one of the up-and-coming greats, you know, he's just so fantastic. I think Juan's already great. I mean, they're both already great, but, um, but I don't, I'm just looking at Britannia now, and uh, how perfect is this artist for this project? In Britannia, I mean, like, he just, I mean, I love the way he's managed to kind of, like, visualise Nero, and, and it's very difficult when you're doing a character like Nero. We all have ideas of what Nero is. He's almost become this cipher, and he's almost like this meaningless piece of kind of like blob of, of kind of like history. But um, in Britannia, he, he looks like a real, spoilt, difficult, irritating, dangerous person. Uh, but, but he looks like a particular person, not just some, not just some, uh, any, any uh, tyrant. And I think that 
that's, that's the mark of a really great artist. They manage to find the particular. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see it in the expressions in Nero's face. He is a, a, a creepy, uh, uh, angry little uh, emperor. And, uh, and Rubia, head of the, yeah, and Rubia, yes. the vegetable artist. I mean, just, uh, you know, it, as I said, I think that the really great artists managed to find um, the particular. And so yeah. these people look like particular people and not just any, everyone or anyone. You know, it's quite a coup for you to get on this title because this is part of the future of Valiant titles that came out. And I know that you did Shadow Man Endgame. Uh, you wrote that yeah. for Valiant. Or could argue that it's quite a coup for them to have it. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. <laughs> but, I mean, they, they're actually establishing some new characters. They're not just pulling from the, the properties when Valiant was out in the 1990s. They're actually creating new ones that aren't even superhero. I mean, their books have never really been, quote, superhero, standard superhero. It's always been very grounded. I think they're a very interesting company. I think that what they're – it's quite brave what they're kind of doing. I think what they're trying to do – they don't seem to kind of like fall back on that's the lowest common denominator. To, to, let's give this guy some superpowers. And it's, you know, they do seem to be trying to kind of forge, if you like, a third way. Uh, there's there's Marvel and there's DC, and these guys, uh, Valiant, seem to be attempting to create their own kind of area. Uh, and it's not superhero, and it's not detective, and it's not. But they seem to they seem to be trying to get some kind of um, voice or style, um, but it's it's an interesting stuff. I mean, I think that um, what they're trying to do, I think, is really laudable because it's and it's if in some ways it's like an older model because it's not like Image or it's not one of these kind of like newer kind of like companies. So it's it's kind of like using, if you like, an older model of comics, but trying to do something a bit different. And I think that's uh, really interesting. And they're doing it slowly. I mean, they're growing their universe slowly. And if titles finish up, they just end that title. The characters are still around, but they don't just keep the title rolling on just to get the books out. I mean, they do they do change their lineup from time to time. I like that because like that sometimes the character has run its course. Sometimes it's run its course for now. Sometimes it needs some more ideas injected into it. And sometimes that just takes time. You know, it's often not a case of let's do this and let's turn it around in a month. Sometimes it's good to put someone on the back burner for months or even years. I mean, I think even with like their Bloodshot character, they really injected some new life into that with Bloodshot Reborn. I think it was some needed injection of life and character depth that they didn't yeah, have. Yeah, I always thought that, if you like, the high concept of Bloodshot was really interesting. I thought there was some... I just thought it, could, it, it seemed a slightly unusual idea, but it seems a kind of idea that you could explore some really interesting uh, stories uh, with, and I think they do. And with Britannia, is this a character, Antonio Axis, who's going to wind up staying in the Valiant universe and appear in different titles at some point, or is it going to stay in its own separate part of the history of the Valiant universe? I feel, I mean, everything's up for grabs. I mm -hmm. feel that probably um, it sh he should stick in his own world for a bit longer, just to really establish his own world. But look, this is comics and this is Valium. It could be that other parts of the Valium world start to start to come into his world uh, in the next storyline. Um, but I'm working on some, another storyline, um, and I think we hope to kind of um, we hope to do something with that. Uh, and um, but I think that you know I think his character. Remain, I mean, if you like his specialness, um, 
exists because of the era that he's in. So I think it's be quite difficult to to take him out of uh, ancient Rome and say him and put him in a more modern setting for say he kind of the thing that makes him special uh, would perhaps be dissipated. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree hundred percent. And he is a an ancient detective. What probably like one of the first detectives. Are you a uh, a fan of sleuth type stories. I mean, did you follow things like Columbo when it was on TV, or read a lot of the Sherlock Holmes by? I'm more, more the reading than the TV. Mm-hmm. I'm a, as well, take kind of rather a book than a TV program, really. Uh, yeah, but yes, of course. But I've read, I've read all the, the British uh, detectives like uh, Sherlock Holmes, but I, I kind of really loved the American ones. I think that Raymond Chandler is a fantastic writer. I think. His prose is fantastic, you know. I mean, there is nothing emptier than an empty swimming pool. I mean, that's James. That's up there with James Joyce. I mean, it's a fantastic line. Um, uh, by, by the way, there is nothing emptier than an empty swimming pool is a line from uh, Raymond Chandler. Okay. Uh, one, of the, one of the Philip Marlowe books. He's a, that is great stuff. And, you know, Dashiell Hammett, I really kind of loved all that stuff. And, you know, so like it's, I did like the American sleuth stuff. And there's some more modern ones. Uh, there's the uh, Mosley, I think his name, I think it's, uh, uh, God, what's his name? I've read all his books. And it's really interesting. His surname is Mosley. And his, mm-hmm. his character is uh, Easy Rulings, I think, uh, is, his, is his character, is his detective. But anyway, it's just really interesting. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I think he, I think he uh, wrote Devil in a Blue Coat or something. Well, that was one of his devil in a blue dress i think they made him to move with denzel washington and um and that was originally one of these easy warnings uh novels uh but you know but um but that's kind of that that's taken the that's taken the kind of like the style or the move the feel of uh some of those classic american sleuth movies of the 20s and 30s by making it a, by making it as a black uh uh detective which is a really interesting uh way of looking at the other side of america that often gets forgotten about in this kind of literature let me ask you um, about The Mummy, which is uh, coming out next week, actually, uh, on uh, Wednesday. And that's from Titan Comics. And this is another coup for you, I think. It's, it's, it's from Hammer. I mean, it's like it's yes. Hammer uh, assisted by Titan Comics. Okay. So it's the Hammer properties, and they're publishing through Titan Comics. And uh, this is also going to lead off a series of Hammer horror books. But you're, you've taken the lead, and you're starting out with The Mummy. Mm. Have you seen the Hammer films? Are you a fan of those? Uh... Oh yeah, I've seen them all. I mean, like, uh, uh, I mean, the Hammer, the, the Mummy movies I've seen, and, and most of the kind of the uh, Dracula movies. And there was a lot of them, and uh, they were a real British institution. And uh, some of them are fantastic, and some of them are. You look at them now, they might look a little bit clunky, but they still have a kind of a, a kind of a quality that is charming, and eccentric, as well as still have a bit of horror about them. So, yeah, I was completely um, okay with them, and so I was really interested. Yeah, there's definitely something that's on my DVD shelf. I mean, I really love the ones with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing both in there playing. Usually, Christopher Lee's playing the monster. In fact, he did play the mummy in the Hammer version. He also played Frankenstein yeah. Dracula. It managed to be just this side of camp, which I thought was really skillful. Yeah, no, I, it's one of my favorite Hammer films. Um, and it's interesting that both... Uh, Titan is publishing the first book they're publishing for Hammer is The Mummy, and Universal plans on relaunching the horror films of the 30s and 40s and 50s using The Mummy first in 2017. What does he think about The Mummy that 
both Universal and Hammer would tap first to lead off a rebirth of these I mean, characters. I mean, I think there is, I think there is something, even though it perhaps it's it feels out of date in its, I mean, in its current, uh, in its current way it's commonly uh, used. I think there was something. Well, it's a, well. I mean, the whole myth of the, of the mummy comes from Egyptian. Uh, comes from Egyptian uh, mythology, and that's very old. That's been around for a long time. So it's kind of part of our DNA a bit. And um, and there is still something odd about this. The mummy, I think, it still gets to us a bit. And I think um, we are intrigued by it. You've only got to look, you've only got to look at uh, the Egyptian gallery in the British Museum and see how crammed it is with people every day that this has still has a draw for us and and it continues to do so and i think that that's and, and i think our continuing interest in the movies draws from comes from that comes from that idea that um, we are fascinated by this culture and by all the myths that then kind of like spiraled out of this uh, culture well why don't you uh, tell us a bit about the book the mummy is this going to be a four issue series for Titan? I think it's five. Five? Okay. I, think, I believe it's five. Yeah, I think it's five. Yeah, it is five. Um, yeah, well, look, I mean, what's important to understand, when, when they hammer uh, come into their offices in London and said, uh, we'd be interested in doing a, a new mummy story, but um, can you come up with a new angle on a, on a mummy story? I mean, so that was my that was my remit, if you like. And uh, so I went away, you know, I, I looked at all the old mummy movies and I... Uh, and, uh, and I thought, how can this story be made so it's contemporary? I mean, there's some things which immediately struck me. People, people, skinny six foot guys running around wrapped in bandages ain't scary. It's not scary anymore. It, it will never be scary again. And um, it's, it's comical. And a lot of those old movies also have some implicit racism and some fairly explicit sexism. So, um, well, actually, the racism's probably pretty explicit as well. So, obviously, all that stuff had to be known. All that stuff had to be, you know, I mean, in the old movies, quite often, it was the kind of the small and slightly slippery and smarmy brown person from Egypt who ended up being the bad guy and the plucky white uh, British professor who tend, ended up to be the hero. So obviously all that stuff is nonsense now and, and it, it, it's no longer, one can, it no longer does, you know, in, in our, thank God, you know, in our new world. Um, so I knew that that stuff I couldn't want, I didn't want. So I then had to ask myself, what is scary about, what could be scary, what could be relevant about, about um, mummies, about this whole world? You know, I spent some time walking around, uh, walking around some, uh, uh, museums with some uh, Egyptian uh, mummy galleries, and I was, I was really, I was really struck by these these people lying around, these corpses lying around for the for the enjoyment of or, or not enjoyment of these packs of school kids who were kind of hardly taking any notes of them, and I was really struck. I was moved by these uh, characters, and um, and so I, I started then that that started me thinking about um, these bodies, how these bodies are being used, almost like ornaments. And that then led me on to thinking about how bodies can be used, how even now bodies can still be used with slavery or sex slavery. Or... So um, it's the story is about a, a girl called Angel, who's from uh, Ukraine, who, who is um, sex trafficked into this country, thinking she's going to get a decent job, but actually she's been put up and she's going to be put to work as a sex slave. And that's the starting point. She's our hero of the piece, and it's about... This terrible organisations that she gets wrapped, 
draw, drawn into it. And and in these these organisations, there's some of the called the Pyramid Club are the people that are going to try to help her. But the sect of Anubis are these kind of ancient uh, organisation who are who have their nefarious reasons for having a special interest in Angel. And there are mummies in it, and one and uh, there's um, ancient uh, rites in it, and there's horrific body shock um, mummification in it. The stuff that scared me about mummies was the process of mummification itself. I thought, we don't actually see much of that in the movies or the books. Another thing I thought you never quite get much of in uh, in the films uh, was um, was all of that interesting, great stuff about um, Egyptian religion, uh, the, the land of the dead. You never had seen any of that. So I'm really trying to... It was it's a it's a re-examination, a re-look, a retake on the mummy story, in a very modern situation, dealing with a very modern problem of uh, sex trafficking. Yeah, it's interesting too that uh, you know instead of it, like you said, being a guy walking around in bandages, you've changed that up so it's a woman and she's actually the hero of the story versus being the the baddie, uh, the the monster. But, yeah, but no, is she. she... That's, that's exactly right. I mean, she has to kind of like, she has to suss things out. And uh, they're asked, and it's, can she trust anyone? I mean, it's always, it's always about how people and bodies are used and exploited. And it's about um, this, this woman who has to get over her lack of trust because clearly she's been abused by these guys. And and uh, and the, the horror, I would say, is, is, more, is more Cronenberg than Hammer, I would say, um, at the, particularly at the beginning. Um, so it's, it's slightly more body shock. So it is horrible. There's lots of horror in it, but it's the kind of horror comes from a place that's slightly different from uh, your classic mummy movie. So I like to think that it has some of the, uh, some of the eccentric Britishness of the original uh, Hammer uh, movies. Um, it has horror, but it's coming from a slightly different uh, uh, area and it's relevant to today it's a story that is very much about today even though there's lots of uh, ancient uh, belief systems which are being uh, uh, used or abused uh, by these people from today excellent excellent and Ronaldson is doing the art Ronaldson uh, if I say this correctly yeah. Fieri yeah and he's really interesting because I think he really captures a kind of paranoid claustrophobic London film it really kind of gives a it really gives a kind of slightly dated quality, which I wanted, because these people who are, who are either trying to help or trying to hurt uh, our main character Angel, there is a very kind of like dated quality to them and to their ideas, because they're all kind of like all obsessed by Egypt, and so to, to having an artwork which kind of gives you a kind of a paranoid, claustrophobic, slightly dated quality is really perfectly pitched. And how do you go about working with him? I mean, is a lot of it just correspondence back and forth, uh, email, or do you do conference calls? Uh, yeah, I write the script in Spanish. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I write. I write the scripts, and I, I think they're. I, I believe they're translated. Um, I mean, my technically, I write uh, full scripts. With I mean, I think it's the writer's job to. Uh, imagine every single panel and also to imagine the turning of the page. I mean, in comic books, what separates comic books from other forms of writing is 
that term of the turn of the page or, or what you see when you turn over a page, that seems to be integral to like what the, what the comic book is and what the job is as a writer. So uh, yeah, I, I have a full uh, script with full uh, 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 panel uh, descriptions. That's not to say that, you know, someone, if an artist wants to get uh, creative and wants to play around with things, I'm always happy for that as long as I feel it's, is to the best of the story, you know, that it's it's not just someone doing pretty pictures, that it's, that it's someone who is understanding the script and is trying to find a new way and a better way, perhaps, of, um, of visualising that script. So, yeah, he gets a full script, and I think his agent uh, translates it into Spanish, um, which he then uh, draws, and he's doing a really great job. And how far along are you with the scripts right now? Are you most of the way through the series, or...? Um... Well, the story's really worked out. Okay. And, um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm doing fine now. There's no problem. Uh, I think it's like I've, I've got three completely done and the other two are kind of like mapped out and, and worked out. So it's all kind of, it's all under control. Uh, Hammer will be glad to hear. <laughs> and this is just speculation. And I, each character needs their room to breathe before there's any kind of crossovers. But do you think at some point that Titan will have the Hammer... Uh, properties crossing over some kind of monster mash at some point. Not that they're in any hurry for it. These things definitely have to so, yeah, develop. I think, well, I think everything's possible. I mean, one one thing about the mummy, which is really important for people to understand, is that in talking to Hammer and in thinking about it myself, I really do believe that this is this is the next story in the Hammer's telling of the mummy mythos. The fact that this is comic books, it's almost neither here nor there. I mean, yeah. Their first uh, tellings of the of the mummy mythos has been in the form of movies. Now it's in comics, and who knows what it's going to be the next one. So I see it's part of a a line of of, of comic books, um, uh, of stories, films, or comic books. So it's important that it's seen as part of the has to come some kind of connective tissue with the previous stories. There's not a lot in it that's the same, but it's still another telling of it. I think that. Is, I think I believe that it would be important to establish these uh, old titles, these old uh, properties, again in their own worlds, and perhaps before they start, you start to mash them up with uh, other characters. But I think it's all possible if it's a good story, if it's saying something that's worthwhile. Why the hell not? But I think that it's it's probably quite important to uh, to establish them again. You know, if there's a character who appeared in a film that's like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, I think probably rather than jumping straight into kind of mashing it with something else, probably best to uh, re-establish that character in its own world or its own new version of that world. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's I, 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 something I'm really happy about, the books just taking their time and establishing the characters because back uh, like when Universal would do horror movies and they would have like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, you know, just think where we can go today with these kinds of stories with the great writers that we have. I mean, how much more depth we can give to these characters, how much more time we can let them breathe and actually develop them deeply in their environments and then have a really meaningful crossover at some point when it makes sense and everyone's familiar with the characters and their backgrounds and their story. And it's much more organic than just say, hey, here's an opportunity. Let's just throw them all together. Yeah, but I think, I think as you said, the key point is that when everyone's okay and everyone understands what the character is. So then, otherwise you don't get the joke. Otherwise you don't get the angle. I mean, I guess by the time they did, uh, by the time they did Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, everyone had a really d 
deep understanding of, right. of, 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 the, of both the Frankenstein's monster and, and, uh, and the Wolfman. So everyone knew exactly what that character represented. And I think that at the moment, probably some of these old characters, we don't know quite what they represent yet. So it's very difficult to kind of get the full, uh, get the full worth uh, or, or uh, put them into a different environment. Does um, Titan plan to add any additional information in the back of the books like you have for Britannia under Valiant? Is there any supplemental material they're going to toss in there? I think there's some extra bits and pieces um, uh, artwork, but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be quite as fulsome as uh, as Britannia. Uh, but um, what, one thing I do know is uh, uh, about two weeks time, um, as a, as a as a kind of as a kind of like celebration of the mummy coming out, I'm a, I'm appearing a, a life drawing class uh, in 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 London in the centre of London where they they drawing one person dressed as a mummy and someone else dressed as the Queen of Anubis, and uh, an Egyptologist there will will do a talk and will make a podcast of this Egyptologist uh, talking to me uh, um, about the book and about Egypt. Um, I have made sure that. Um, He's a tame Egyptologist who likes. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I mean, I do my research, but you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. It doesn't mean to say that I can lock horns with uh, someone who spent like 30 years studying the process and digging up uh, archaeological sites in a, in um, Delphi or in in, in in Egypt. So I think we're, we're doing a we're doing a podcast with an Egyptologist, and I. I, I am not aware of any plans to put any uh, tame Egyptologists at the back of, um, of the book. It's actually quite a good idea, though. And maybe I might get this uh, guy to write something for one of them. I, I would love to hear the podcast, so keep me in the loop on that when that goes I'll up. Keep, I'll keep you in the loop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, probably, it'll probably be complete humiliation. <laughs> me, which dynasty is my favorite? <laughs> Of course, I said third. <laughs> now, now Warren Simons tapped you for Britannia. How did it go about with Titan Hammer coming to you to do the Mummy? Well, actually, it was it was Hammer. Um, I mean, Hammer called me into their offices, which is in London, so it's just down the road from me. Uh, uh, I live in London, and uh, the, so it's just you know, and uh, and they said they were interested in uh, moving into the comic world. And uh, they had a couple of, they had some projects, they had some titles and some characters, and uh, they were interested in, in in seeing whether I could have a new uh, angle on something. They were particularly interested in the mummy, whether or not I could come up with a, a new angle on this mummy mythos. And uh, and it sounded interesting because the mummy, because it's the mummy, you know, I mean, it's like it's, uh, and we all know what that means, and we've all seen the movies, so. That was kind of really intriguing. So I kind of they gave me all the movies that all the mummy movies that Hammer had made, and there's quite a few of them. So I sat down one day and I kind of watched all of them, and I think I then the following day, and uh, I paced around thinking, how can you make what new angle? How can this say something about my life now? What can this say about the life that I see around me? And remember, I was talking to this uh, director that I know, this film director, and I said I'm trying to come up with this new anchor on the mummy he said forget it there is none just walk away you know because it's <laughs> you know, because it's all been done we all know it and I, I, didn't, I felt i felt um that there was something there and it really was getting out of the home and getting out of the in front of the tv and going to a and going to um 
going to museums. Going to, going to the source. Well, yeah, going to museums. And actually, the thing with it, it, where it fell in, in place was uh, I went to the Beach Museum and I went to um went to this uh one of the galleries where they where they had this this mummified woman and she was some kind of queen and in the, in the small bits of information about her it was shown how how she was like an amazing kind of woman who who managed to kind of like managed to uh forward herself and and develop herself in a way that most women weren't able to do so i was thinking she was obviously a really kind of proud forceful intelligent strong woman and she was like spread eagled on her back decaying um, uh, covered in bandages. And there was a bunch of school kids in front of her, and the school and the teacher was talking about uh, uh, about about this uh, mummy. Of course, ninety percent of the teachers, the school kids, were either talking to themselves or checking their iPhones. And I thought, that <laughs> it's come to this, you know, it's come to this, and it's only because it was it's four thousand years old uh, corpse that it was okay. If that corpse was four years old. It would be seen as an horrific act of inhumanity. So, at what age does you know? So they're, they're starting to be thinking about these bodies that's been hung up there for the edification or not of um of the modern world. So they're starting to be thinking along the uh, the route of um of what could this story be about? And again, so I really just rather than what I didn't do is think what what can happen. I think that often it's a blind alley. I'm much more interested in what is it about. And from that question, what is it about? So I think, oh, it could be about this. Look at that. From there, uh, if you're lucky, plot starts to represent, uh, starts to present itself to you. So that's really how it happened. Started off in the office of a uh, hammer. The people there were fantastic, and it was really interesting talking to them. And uh, yeah, then spending like th- two or three days pacing around, thinking, how can this be a, a different modern mummy story? It's still fantastic stuff. But all the ingredients are still brilliant. I don't care how many movies there's been in the past. You know, it's the stuff's all there. But how can you make it relevant? And hopefully, this, that's what I've done. And that's going to come out November 9th, next Wednesday. Be the first issue. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that'll be so, print, print and digital, right? It'll be available for download as well. Yeah, I suggest you get both. <laughs> 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 but no, yeah. So we're really, we're really excited about it. I mean, it's kind of, it's obviously. I think it's. I think people will enjoy it. Uh, I say it's 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 quirky, but it also has some like real stuff. You know, it's it's about a real person. It's about a real problem. So um, why can't things like a mummy comic deal with a real pressing, urgent social ill? I mean, there's no reason why it can't. And for those who like to collect. Multiple covers. There's six different covers, including a sketch cover for this one. So, God, yeah. God. yeah, like one of the blank covers, so you can have someone draw the mummy or whatever you want to have on the front cover. So, yeah, there's there's six covers. Makes them put any better. I haven't got any of them. <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else you want to share with us that you're working on that's that's kind of uh, in the works that you can share? I kind of, you know, I kind of, um, as I said, I mean, I'm kind of working on another. Uh, if it's an, another series of the Britannia, mm-hmm. but um, that's kind of that's kind of not that's not uh, all there yet. And I kind of always lo- I'm always loath to talk too much about what I'm doing or what I'm going to be doing because it can kind of put the kiss of death on it. So I'm working on some film scripts. I'm working on some other uh, comic book ideas, and I think um, you know watch this space. Okay, and for to get feedback from fans, Twitter or Facebook. Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's one Peter Milligan. 
Okay. Uh, but Twitter is is the is the best one, yeah. And be happy to um have people come on there. Excellent. Well, Peter, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you about your work, Britannia and the Mummy, and I wish you all the best with these. Thanks a lot, man. And thus concluded my interview with Peter Milligan that I conducted while working for Word of the Nerd. I hope to have Peter back in 2017. He was a lot of fun to talk to, and I know he has some projects in the works that he couldn't speak about during the interview, but hopefully we can get him back to talk about those new projects for 2017. Now, in addition to professionals working in the industry, I like to have those that are struggling to break in, up-and-comers, uh, people trying to develop their craft and their skills and trying to make it a break into comics or into illustration professionally. So next up, I have Rachel Persephone, who I talked to for Word of the Nerd at the New Jersey Comic Expo in 2016. And I stopped by her booth and talked to her about the illustrations she had there and what work she was doing uh, this year and coming up in 2017. And there is the cover of a book coming up in 2017 that I talked to her about in this interview. And so here is my interview for Word of the Nerd with Rachel Persephone. So this is your second year at the New Jersey Comic Expo. Mm -hmm. You have your booth again this year. Yeah. And you're an artiste? Yes. And tell us about the art that you have on display today for the expo. On display. So at conventions, I like to have a combination of you know, fan art and original art. Um, to appeal to the, the crowd and my interests and also showcase some of my own original works. Um, but most of my work revolves around, I, well, I paint figures mostly, you can see as here. you can oh, see in the back. Yep. Um, but I, I think more than men, I paint women. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to make it more balanced. But a big thing for me is body empowerment. And, and I want to represent people of all kinds of people, all kinds of body types and races and eventually incorporating the different genders in a really empowering way. I like pinups, but nothing too overtly um, sexual or explicit, mm -hmm. more of a tease. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. and uh, how long have you been doing your art? I think every artist's answer is probably since they were born. So you were born to do this. <laughs> you knew like, at a young age. Right? Well, um, I always liked drawing, but the thing is, is in high school, there weren't really art classes. Okay. And so I, it never occurred to me that I could take it seriously or, or treat it as a skill to develop until I got a brochure for an art college towards the end of high school. And it was for just a, a high school college art program for the summer. And there was two days until the deadline and it just clicked and I took it. And I actually didn't like the major I had picked for the summer program, but I saw the wall of illustration. I went in for fine arts and I saw the wall of illustration and it just hit me, oh, this is it. So I went to art college at Moore College of Art and Design for four years. I got my BFA in illustration and I graduated in 2014. So since then, I've been working for a publisher during the day and I've just been you know, um, pursuing my craft, doing the conventions, making art, constantly trying to improve and get more freelance work. So eventually, you know, the dream is to do freelance full time. Okay. And that's an important thing for people that want to be an artist need to know is that you just don't come out of the gate with a degree and say, no, I'm an artist, and now you just start no. making money. You have your day job, so you yep. can eat. Yep. Like and insurance. And, <laughs> that's and, important. And insurance, absolutely. <laughs> and then at some point you hope that it'll just, you'll pick up enough of a following, mm -hmm. enough, uh, you know, enough out there so that you can start doing this yeah. on your own. How have the fans been here that have come by? Do you have, do you have returning fans from previous cons? Or? I do, I do. They're gems, all of them. Uh, I have some that you messaged me this morning to let me know that they'll be here tomorrow. So I, I think I'll see some returning fans tomorrow. And they're always great. They make my day. I mean, anyone who stops by, I'm, I'm grateful for. And I love to meet new people. But the ones that 
that return that remember me and return and um, if they want whether they want to pick up new prints or not the ones that come back and check in just because they support me enough to be they're interested enough to support me and want to know how I'm doing it's that's my favorite part well it's nice to get beyond the social media and the emails to actually see your yeah. fans face to face and yeah. actually see the reaction and how mm -hmm. they how excited they're about the work yeah and it you know it's that little boost you need when you're trying to fight on to do your own thing and establish yourself and do this for a living to yeah. have that, that feedback exactly. from your fans i know without them i will not get to where i want to be so all my thanks <laughs> And what are you working on now, besides what we see on display? Are you, is there anything that you're working on at the drawing board? Yeah, actually, um, I've been a little MIA on the internet for the past few months, but not for a lack of working. Uh, a few things. The first is I actually was working on a book cover for a book called The Nightmares. It's part of a series. It's the first book. And so that is actually currently going through the publishing process. And I think... It should be out in physical book form next year, okay. um, but you know we're not sure quite how long it'll take. Um, I'm hoping for summer though, and so I've been working on that. I've been doing a mentorship with Dan Dos Santos online and monitoring another class with Scott and Fisher, and so I've been doing a lot of portfolio building, bulking up, getting their feedback, a lot of um, projects, uh, focusing on book cover work actually as opposed to comics, um, branching out into uh, those interests and just really beefing up my skills as best I can. Yeah, that's good to diversify. It's a good plan. I mean, not just comics, but mm -hmm. books. And, and when um, the Nightmares, when do you, who, how will you be able to access this book? What uh, channels will be sold in? So some of those details are unclear to me. Yeah, like I said, I just, I just did the cover, though I am close to the author, so I do hear the process. It sort of like Kickstarter, there's this site called InkShares. Okay. And that's the venue he went through to get. He had to get 250 pre-orders, which he he got more than 250 pre-orders, and so it's going through the publishing process. And I believe it it will be sold. Uh, it will, there's digital. There's ebook copies. Okay. And I believe that you will be able to order more physical copies uh, beyond the pre-orders. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure yeah. where they'll be sold. But he hit Maybe, the threshold of 250 yeah. so that it was greenlit and it's going to be published. Yeah, he hit the threshold. It should be good. It's like a it's like a horror comedy of sorts. It's not really scary horror. I mean, there are there are moments of scary things that happen in there, but it's a bunch of friends. It's like okay. a bunch of friends that are plunked into this this world of fantasy and horror that they didn't realize existed within the world we live in today. And so you you'll follow their adventures. Okay. And how can fans or people that would like to purchase your art that are not at the con, how can they get in contact with you? Do you have a website? Or? Yep. Uh, my, my name is Rachel Persephone, and my website is rachelpersephone.com uh, with a dash in between my first and middle name. Um, and I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter. I have a web store, which my, my, all those things will link back to my website and my web store. You can find me on there. Excellent. Very good. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We wish you the best of luck. And that was my interview with Rachel Persephone. And thus concludes our Best of 2016 Episodes, Part 4. And so next time we're here on this podcast, I'm going to have some new interviews for you. Some I'm already working on and I have queued up. So looking forward to 2017. It should be very exciting. Um, so join me again. And you can reach me on Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. And for additional show announcements and show notes, go to my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. As always, I know you have a lot of podcasts to choose, and I thank you for choosing this one. 
for Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.